mayors should be the lead entrepreneurs for the cities. That's the way they should see themselves. Not, not all do, but if you want to change, I mean, set the tone, really change things in your community. I always told people that sitting in that seat was the best spot to do it. Perhaps you've heard it said that true leadership revolves around serving others, empathy, and collaboration. Welcome back to the Entrepreneur Adventure Podcast, where we give you the tools to climb higher and faster than ever before. Today's guest, a retired mayor of Augusta, Georgia, and best-selling author of The Changemaker, The Art of Building Better Leaders, Mr. Deke Copenhaver, certainly has some wisdom to share on how to unite a community through servant leadership. And with that, I'll turn it over to our hosts, Josh Melton and Chad Brown. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Entrepreneur Adventure. Our conversation today is a guest, retired mayor, consultant, best-selling author, change-making leader. Welcome, Deke Copenhager to the show. Good to have you, sir. Guys, thank you so much for having me. And I'm right down the street from you at Augusta. We're neighbors. That's right. We're neighbors. We have to do this in person once uh, COVID gets out of the way. Absolutely. There's a little fun fact that we got from from Deke's people. Deke, you became the first American mayor to complete all three legs of a sanctioned Ironman event. And you didn't (laughs) stop there. You've done four four more Ironman events. Since then, so in a fight with me and Chad, you would win against both of us at the same time. But can we start at least there on your story because that's intense? We got yeah. some buddies of ours now telling us to do some tough mutter and Iron Man type stuff, and I'm over here like a little bit afraid. And you're like the veteran of making this happen. So. Yeah, I haven't done one in a while, but I'll tell you the the story about that. So um, we've got the largest half Iron Man event in North America and Augusta every fall. We didn't have it last fall because of COVID, but when I was in office. The first year we had it, so I mean, great event, brings so many people in, $4 million economic impact. I went down to thank everybody for coming when I was mayor and I got up on the stage and I'm very competitive. And I said, I just want to tell y'all, y'all are making me feel lazy and next year I'm in. Cause I figured if I said it from the stage that I couldn't go back on it. So, uh, so yeah, I did it, ended up doing it five times, but but it, a funny story about that too. My first year, we were at Swim Start, and I thanked everybody for coming. But this time, I'm you know in my wetsuit and everything, and I get on the platform, and the guy goes, "Are are you really the mayor?" And I said, "Yeah. Well, why?" He said, "Well, usually the mayor would be like in the VIP tent and not out here with us." And um, so it, it slowed me up a lot because people in the crowd would yell, "Mayor, mayor!" And on the run course, people are like, are you really the mayor? So I'd have to be an ambassador for the city. But uh, but no, it was, it was a fun time. And I just, and it was trying to encourage people to get healthier. That is awesome. But you're politicking and exercising and competing all at the same time. That's fantastic. Well, I, the, the first year I did it was, 2000, was 2010, which was an election year. It was my last election year. And so the announcer, when I crossed the finish line, goes, he doesn't just run for mayor. He runs bikes and swims for mayor. <laughs> <laughs> I love the 
public accountability. If I don't get up here and announce right now, I'm in for next year. I mean, that, that's putting it all on the line there. That's really cool. And that gets us to our topic, too. We're talking about leadership today, right? It's yeah. like, I'm, I'm going to lead the pack. I'm going to be here with you guys next year. I'm setting, like, the pace. Here's the goal, public accountability. It's so awesome to see somebody step out in that type of leadership and then back it up and make it happen. So here's what I want to know. During training for that first one, how many times during that year were you like, oh, my God, what have I done? I, you know, I didn't really worry about it. I'll tell you backstory, though. And we, So I never, in doing them five times training, I never had a flat tire on my bike. I never had a mechanical malfunction. I didn't know how to change a tire. <laughs> and so every year on the bike course, I'm just praying for 56 miles. I'm like, no flat, no flat, please no flat. Because I'm like, if I get a flat, I'm out. <laughs> so I, I may sign up again, but I'm like, I don't think that that the odds are that at some point I'm going to get a flat. <laughs> yep. So Josh, do you want to publicly commit to, to doing it this fall or anything you want to share with us right now? I do not want to do that, Chad. Uh, I expect that by the end of today's episode, I will have learned to be a better leader and be better prepared, maybe in our next podcast episode, to make a public public declaration of my next goal, uh, but but not this one yet. But Deke, I, I respect that, and that is awesome. I've done that in the past, but not for an Ironman. I'm like, I'm going to run a 5K. I'm starting small. got steps. <laughs> What about Bob, that old movie? You know, it's like baby steps to the to personal fitness is what I'm doing. But a mad respect, though, Deke, for your public proclamation to do something ridiculously hard and then go okay. through with it. It's awesome. Well, I'll tell you, it's one of the cool things about it to me, too, is that people think, well, it's an individual event, right? Because, you you know, you're racing to try to get your personal best. And the, the professionals that do it are amazing. I mean, they're just, they are machines. But there's so many people, you know, you picture everybody's going to be ultra shape and, you know, all fit and trim. I mean, there are 60-something-year-old ladies who survived breast cancer. It's all shapes and sizes. And everybody's encouraging everybody else. The vibe is just so, you know, electric. But but everybody's pulling for everybody else. And that, that to me is a cool experience. That's really cool. When, when you were going through the process of training and, and competing and participating, did you learn a lot from the leadership standpoint and teach from your standpoint of uh, learning from what you were experiencing? Yeah. And I think a big portion of it, it's, it's leading by example. Mm -hmm. And a big thing about leadership too, to me is, it's doing something that nobody else wants to do. So I'll, I'll get back to your first question and tell you a little bit about myself. So I was born in Montreal, Canada, moved to Augusta when I was four. I was a painfully shy kid with a thick Canadian accent dropped off in the deep South. But I think that I, I felt like an outsider. So I always have been very inclusive and wanted to make people feel part of something bigger than themselves. So we had a really bad reputation for bad politics here in Augusta. And I went through Leadership Georgia, you know, the oldest statewide leadership program in the nation in 2004. Well, my graduation weekend in Thomasville, Georgia, we had our third current or former elected official go under indictment. And so I had a bunch of mayors from across the state in my class. So we stayed up in the hospitality suite that night and talking about, I'm like, that's it. That's the straw that broke the camel's back. If, if a position comes available, I'm going to go for it. 
So our then mayor, Bob Young, left to become Southeast Regional Director for Housing and Urban Development. So I'm like, I didn't know I was supposed to kiss a ring or anything. And I'm 37 years old. I'm like, okay, I've run a small business. I've chaired boards of directors. I've gone through Leadership Georgia. You know, I have all the leadership experience that I need. So, but when I said I was going to do it, I got called into a back room. It was not a smoky back room by business leaders that I respect and told that I would be, that I was the best candidate, but that I hadn't paid my dues. And they told me no older people would vote for me. African-Americans wouldn't vote for me. Younger people wouldn't vote because younger people don't vote. And I got, so once again, the competitive spirit, I'm like, I'm going to run and I'm going to win whether you guys are in the race or not. And so in 2005, it was just, we had a bunch of 20 and 30 something year olds that knew nothing about running a political campaign, but the energy and enthusiasm and positivity was just people rallied around it. So I think that's, you know, a main reason why I won, but that's what I tell people in leadership positions. And I think, you know, you're never too young or too old to lead. And I, I just, being 37 years old was a plus for me. Some people, to the time I left office, there was a local gossip columnist that called me the boy king. So, <laughs> so but it, what, you know, what if I had listened to, to the people that told me not to do it because I hadn't paid my dues? So part of leadership too is you got to be willing to go against the status quo. And, and you said, hey, I'm doing this my way and not going to be fearful or intimidated and let's see what happens. And I assume was a pretty big underdog in that first election. Oh, people, people didn't think I'd get 6% of the vote. And I, I won the first year in a runoff, but I was the only candidate going in the runoff with no endorsements. I didn't have a one. And so then I, I won in the runoff with 57% of the vote. The next year, I, so I ran in 05, had to turn around and run again in 06, won with 67% of the vote and no runoff. So little trivia information. I don't know that this is good barroom trivia, but so in 2005, I turned 38 between the general and the runoff election. So I, with no runoff in 2006, I was actually elected mayor of Augusta two times at the age of 38. Huh. I don't think anybody can beat that one. So I'll, I'll drop the mic on That's that That's awesome, man. And you have the first American mayor. I mean, you got at least two trivia answers already, man. We're like 10 minutes into this thing. That's perfect. But, you know, we, we never went negative. I was like, if I can't run on my own vision or my own track record, I shouldn't be running. So keeping it to the high ground, you know, won me three elections with an average of 64% of the vote. But it goes back to what I was saying about uh, the guy that, you know, I, I think that was in an earlier Zoom call today, but summer before last, I was asked by a guy said, what's at the core of your book? So I have a book out, um, The Changemaker, The Art of Building Better Leaders. And I said, it's, I, I think I did mention this. I said that it's, you know, you can treat everybody with dignity and respect, maintain your character and integrity and still be successful in leadership. But the guy thought he said it's not possible, but, you know, it worked here in Augusta for nine years. So it, it's but it was doing things differently and not doing politics as usual. I wonder the difference Dick, between the the first time you won at 38 years old and the second time you won at 38 years old, because you you said you had significantly more of the vote 
the second time. Do you yeah. think that to just you had better name recognition going into the second election, or was were you able to just get some things done fast? Like what what do you think caused you to get such an upswing of votes in the second time that you ran? Well, it's kind of like with bands. I'm a huge music lover, and people say, "Well, that band's an overnight success when they've been out there touring relentlessly." So I just made sure to spend time around the people I served regularly that first year, and not, you know, with the cameras always around, because I I think that's, you know, you're sort of uh, that's a photo op. That's not real leadership to me. But it did. I will say it did help. So I had chaired the red co-chaired the red carpet tour for Georgia in 2004. So I was very knowledgeable about economic development and jumped right in my first year. So my first year, we were able to announce um, automatic data processing, Fortune 300 company bringing a thousand jobs to Augusta. So to have that, the largest job announcement that we had ever had in Augusta, my first year in office, that didn't hurt yeah. for sure. It, it also, from an Augusta standpoint, that seems like a tough city to bring together. You got a, a lot of polar opposites and very different ends of the socioeconomic spectrum there. Um, how would you, were you able to use your leadership capabilities to, to pull everybody together and to help bridge that gap that, that existed at the time? I, I think a major part of it is just being authentic, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I purposely, so my three focuses in office were economic development and job creation, healing the racial divide and running a more efficient government. And so many things come under that heading, but if you can, if you say those are your focuses and I never made promises I knew I couldn't keep, I always believed in <clears throat> under-promising and over-performing. But when I do any speech, I'd focus on those three things and I'm like, okay, Healing the Racial Divide, my first day in office, we started a prayer breakfast that's going on till this day. And we were, and that's because of faith that I would tell people that, you know, being mayor is my job, but my faith is who I am. So we went to big churches, small churches, black churches, white churches. And it was the cool thing to see was that it brought people together from different areas of the city and different socioeconomic and racial uh, persuasions that established friendships over the years. And that, that probably had it not been for that, they would have never known each other. And I, so it stopped for a couple months after I got out of office. And then we decided, uh, you know, to start doing the monthly prayer breakfast again. And it was, I mean, it was like a family reunion. You have all had all these people, oh my gosh, you know, I can't believe I haven't seen you in so long. So that's, but it's got to be in your heart, you know, the racial reconciliation piece. But I will tell you too, I've actually developed um, a course to teach local elected officials about economic development with a focus on diversity and inclusion. So ADP, um, Fortune 300 company, a thousand jobs. They've since doubled their footprint and they're now at 1700 employees. First meeting I had with them, they talked about their corporate commitment to diversity. So the fact that Augusta has a diverse labor force helped us bring in a Fortune 300 company and create a thousand jobs. So people think diversity is black and white. I mean, it's, it's not just black and white, but doing that significant outreach to all parts of the community really helped 
bring the community together. So in your story, Deke, just to kind of back us up for a second, you mentioned you're a small business owner, you're an entrepreneur before you became mayor. If you can back up your story a little bit and just let us know. So we, we kind of stopped with, you're this, this kid who moves to Augusta, Georgia from Canada. Yeah. And then, you know, so you're going to be a little bit different. You have to learn how to, to navigate the, the being the different kid in the deep South, but tell us about your journey in leadership and your journey as an entrepreneur that led you to that spot where you were, people saw like, Hey, you're young, but you are the right guy to run. It's not your time, but you're the guy. They saw that you had equipped yourself as a leader to be the guy. How did you get from that young Canadian kid to that point? It's, it's interesting. So I'm graduated from high school in 17 and went to university of Georgia and I wanted to major in journalism, but my dad wanted me to major in business. So I majored in business. And I would not suggest that any of your listeners try this or recommend this to their kids, but I failed out of Georgia three times. And I tell people I learned more talking my way back in than I ever did at any class. But, but I think that's part of being an entrepreneur and I being mayor was an entrepreneurial endeavor is not being afraid to take risk and knowing you're going to fail. So, When I got out of college, I went to Atlanta and worked for a bank, what was then Nations Bank, now Bank of America. I then moved to um, Beaufort, South Carolina, down on the coast of South Carolina, got into real estate and development and ended up becoming a partner in the Sotheby's firm down there. And then came back to Augusta, was in real estate for a little while, but then ran a nonprofit startup, uh, the Central Savannah River Land Trust for four years, was mayor for nine, then started my consulting business. So everything I've done has been entrepreneurial in spirit, which I, I love. And here again, for your listeners, and you guys know this, I mean, everybody's going to fail. It's not like everything I've ever done in my life has been a success, but you just got to keep after it. And particularly, and I'll give you a great example. So my book came out in 2019. It goes to number one on Amazon's bestseller list in three different categories in the fall of a year ago. So I'm like, man, this is just taking off. This is going to be awesome. So I geared my business model going into last year around paid speaking engagements. So my first big one was at the University of Texas, El Paso. Their student engagement and leadership center had found my book organically. I didn't know until I see pictures of students reading it on Instagram. But so I get to go out there and speak and I'm like, man, this, you know, it pays well. It's great. I get to travel. My wife went with me. I'm like, I'm going to be on college campuses all over the U S that was March 10th. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously um, I made it back to Augusta, but I'm like, okay, all those speaking engagements, they're now gone. But, uh, but fortunately during that time, I was able to you know, even though I wasn't generating revenues, I created a ton of contact content by blogging for Forbes, doing national radio stuff, doing, you know, national and international podcasts. And I just viewed it as you got to set yourself up for when you come out. But I subsequently started working with an organization called the Submarine Way Alliance. So we're helping small to mid-sized cities deal with the issues that they have going on right now. And it's They've counseled with uh, corporations about diversity and inclusion. They've been doing it for years. I'm bringing the economic development piece to it. But it, it, 
so COVID hitting actually with everything going virtual, I didn't really want to engage in long-term consulting agreements with municipalities because I didn't want to be on the road all the time. And James Brown was a good friend of mine. He had a term, hit it and quit it. I'm like, with, with speeches, you can just kind of hit it and quit it and come back. But, but now that, you know, everything's going virtual, it's removed the geofence from me that I can work in cities anywhere in the nation or all over the world. That's really cool. Uh, talking about when you were mayor, focusing on three things and thinking about those three things uh, before every speech, that's such awesome advice and applies to leadership and business of find the three things that you want to focus on that you are passionate about making change and leading uh, and driving towards and continue to play that every single time you're getting ready to lead your team or lead your business or, or politics or city or whatever it may be. I love that approach and, and how you reflected back before each speech on those three things. I think that's tremendous advice that our listeners can take advantage of as they're growing businesses, as they're being leaders uh, on their teams and in their communities. That's, that's fantastic. It, it's really, I, I've said, whether it's, you know, a mayor, a CEO, I mean, it's an entrepreneur with a startup. To me, part of leadership is you set the tone, right? Mm -hmm. So I've always, in my business endeavors, I've always wanted to be a place that people want to come to work. Or even when I was in office, you know, dealing with politics on a daily basis is not easy, but we made it as fun as we could. And so I had really loyal people working around me and it effectively our internal team was like a startup in the mayor's office. And that's a number of years ago, I wrote an article that mayors should be the lead entrepreneurs for the cities. That's the way they should see themselves. Not, not all do, but if you want to change, I mean, set the tone, really change things in your community. I always told people that sitting in that seat was the best spot to do it. So Deke, going into your book, because I know when I saw this book, and I recognize it's funny too. So looking, you know, getting more information before about you before you came on the podcast, I recognized the cover of your book. I was like, hey, I've seen this before. So <laughs> the change maker, the art of building better leaders. Any entrepreneur out there knows that if they want to scale their company, if they want to go from being, you know, a solopreneur to having a a, a team that can run and lead without them, then they have to be able to teach their people how to think, how to think like leaders, how to behave like leaders. And the best way to do that is to model behavior. So I know I'm interested, Deacon, hearing you talk about what's in the book. What is this art of building better leaders? I'm in the process right now where my my position in, in my company has shifted to where I'm not involved anymore, like the day-to-day -day task of the company, yeah. but I am involved in the day-to-day -day leadership of the company. So outside of meetings, there's not any set specific thing Josh Belton has to do for his company. I'm not producing all this stuff, but I am figuring out how do I cast vision? How do I become a better leader? And how do yeah. I build better leaders on my team? So man, I'm your student. I'm sitting at your, <laughs> please well, teach I'll, me. I'll, I'll tell you, it's, I, I tell people that really that the only power that any leader in any position should concern themselves with is the power to inspire, right? Because if, 
nobody can accomplish anything alone, but if you've got a team around you that you can inspire to work with you, and then, as I say, people that want to come to work every day. And I think part of it is showing you, you're the boss, you know, you're, you're probably going to be put in a situation where you've got to fire somebody at some point. But I, I think really not micromanaging and surrounding yourself with talent and that you don't feel like you have to run behind all the time. But it's, it's interesting. I've, I've always had the people that have worked with me have always, I say, I train them and then they go to some place where they can really afford to pay them a lot more and make a lot more money. But I, I think that's been great. You know, whether it was in the mayor's office, whether it's my consulting business, having had people around me that have gone on, you, you gotta, you gotta continually, you know, change that team up. You, you like for people to stay with you forever, but you also have to encourage them to fly, you know, and, and I, that, spirit and that idea always comes back to benefit you in the end. But I, I was thinking about it the other day. I had a guy that's a friend of mine who's an appraiser, right? He's got his own business and he had to end up firing his assistant. And he said, so I've always hired younger people because I want to train them up and I want to see them go off into the world. And, and I just believe in, in really mentoring the next generation. He said, yeah, I, golly, I got to get somebody 50 or something in here because I, I don't want her leaving me. I want I want my next assistant being with me until I retire. And I'm like, is that really, you know, should it be a prerequisite that you hire somebody that you know nobody's really look? I mean, nobody's trying to hire. If, if people aren't trying to hire your folks away, you're not doing a good job, in my opinion. Yeah, I heard so, that, sta that statement before where, and this is in books all over the place, right? But it's a, hey, what if I what if I train and what if I invest in training them and then they leave me? And the other person says like, yeah, but what if you don't invest in training and they stay? And you got this yeah. person that's not developing and they're not growing. It's like train them and develop them and you can hope that they stay. But if they go away, then at least you prepared and invested and changed somebody's life. But I want to talk real quick, Deke, about so the power to inspire for you again, you rose up through the ranks in your community, which as Chad mentioned, is a very diverse community, diverse area, a lot of stuff going on, a big city for, for the South, especially. Uh, what is the key to inspiring those around you, both, both from inspiring followers, motivating them to action, but also inspiring followers to step up into leadership opportunities and positions and really the potential to be that. I, I think a big part of it, is vulnerability and that connects you with people. And I, I was doing an interview after shortly after the book came out and the interviewer said, you know, you talk a lot about vulnerability in your book is, is it possible to be vulnerable in politics? I said, yeah. He said all the time. I said, absolutely. That was what connected me to people because I didn't say I have all the answers because I didn't. You know, so I think that that being vulnerable and for people to be able to connect with you, that your humanity and it, it's but you, you can't fake sincerity either. I mean, I, I think good leaders are sincere leaders because they they want their, the people around them to succeed. I mean, that's always been my goal. And and it's it's always a team game. You know, I you see people I've told people that in you guys, it sounds like you're doing business the right way. 
there are businesses with churn and burn mentalities where you've got CEOs, you've got elected officials that they, they bullying is actually a strategy. And I'm like, if, if you have to use fear and manipulation to get your desired outcome, that's bullying. That's not leading. Yeah. And it's not sustainable. You can, you can make a lot of money for a short period of time or even a long period of time. But at some point when you're making enemies, people are going to want to see you fail. So I think to be, to be vulnerable, to be honest, to have integrity, all those things that you read in every book that, that matters, but, but you've really got to reflect it. I mean, you've got to live it in order to be successful. In my opinion, you say one of the things that you've been able to help people do is to manage when there's, crises around. Yeah. And so just in the, in the subject of vulnerability, I got to let you know, Deke, that there's ongoing crisis on this podcast because everybody <laughs> knows that I am the host of the podcast and that Chad is the co-host. <laughs> but Chad, sometimes he can't accept his position um, and it causes issues. And Chad, I don't know if you want to speak to that or not. This is your opportunity to make yourself vulnerable, to ask forgiveness, a public apology. Deke can walk us through this. Chad, what do you have to say, man? What is the co-host of this show, Chad? The, it, the microphone is yours, friend. Speak your truth. I understand that I am newer in the podcast industry, and I don't really know how the hierarchy or the structure works in a lot of scenarios, but I just don't quite understand logistics of how, you, how I go from founder to co-host. I feel like going from founder to co-host is not the natural hierarchy of the way things work. So I would think as a, as founder and, and, and to be honest, the person that probably brings the most value to the equation between the two of us that that would deem a title of host as well. But you know what? You're doing such a fantastic job today, Josh. I'm going to let you run with the host uh for today and uh we'll we'll let deke be make the decision on uh on what he thinks uh from a host and a co-host standpoint deke brings people together so this is a golden opportunity for you deke yeah well and i've got the perfect example of this management strategy okay you guys are familiar with band rem right absolutely yes sir Georgia. So I was watching a documentary on them and Peter Buck, the lead guitarist was a little bit older than the rest of the guys, but he had studied bands when they formed REM and he saw the number one reason why they broke up was arguments over songwriting royalties. So when the band started in their entire careers, they did this, every, all four of the members split, split the royalties equally. And I'm like that, you know, think about, by being fair and equal in that situation, it, they avoided the trap of breaking up over money. So it's, you know, it's fair and it sounds good, but it also works and it hits the bottom line. I, I like that. Well, that's, that's really easy from our standpoint. Uh, Josh, you can, <laughs> you can have half or all my royalties from this podcast right now. <laughs> hey, that leads me to my favorite Zoom joke I saw recently about REM. They're like, every, every Zoom call, they're like, that's me in the corner. Little thumbnail, you know, that's me in the corner. And also, Deke, sometimes when I'm doing this podcast with Chad, I feel like I'm losing my religion. I'm just feeling <laughs> so. So now, Josh, you've got you've got my competitive spirit coming out, and 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 I think we have an internal entrepreneur adventure challenge ahead of us now. Whoever finishes 
the Augusta Ironman first gets to hold the title of podcast host. I think that's naturally where we got to go from here. That's perfect, man. Welcome our new host to the Entrepreneur Adventure (laughs) Podcast. Dee Copenhaver, man, we love having you as the host now. Me and Chad are both the co-host, and this is yours, my friend, if you want it. It's like, I'll pass. Uh, no, but I will tell you that's another entrepreneurial endeavor. I'm, I'm actually going to start my own podcast. Okay. And it's, yes. been, it's awesome. been so cool. So I've met, you know, through Forbes and through other avenues, people all over the world. I've done podcasts out of Australia, England, um, Canada, but... I, I just, I've gotten to know these people that have been really successful in this genre. And I think it is. So when I, I had a call in radio show for a year, right? So, but I don't think it, as I say, it was the furthest thing away from, from conservative talk radio, but they had replaced Glenn Beck with me. And then they fired me and replaced me with Glenn Beck after the sales manager had actually said, that my show made more money for him than Glenn Beck's ever did. So, and then I, when I started doing all my radio interviews with Forbes, the group that I was using news and experts said, what, what happened with the radio station? I said, I just don't think they ever got it. I said, corporate was pushing for podcasts and this has been 2016, 2017 and the local group would never do it, but it's that mindset of, but we've always done it this way, which oh, is, yeah. The, the least entrepreneurial mindset that you could ever have because entrepreneurship is about experimenting. But when, when I told them that they said every radio station in the nation now, and this has been last year, they're pushing everybody to do podcasts. So it's another entrepreneurial endeavor, but I've through doing all these podcasts and meeting you guys today, there, there are like-minded people out there that, you know, are cool people that aren't extremists that like to have a good conversation. If I had a beer in front of me right now, we could be having a beer together. But I, I think through all of these efforts, what I see is I'm like, I'm just trying to unite the tribes, you know? Yeah, that's and really cool. It. And I think podcast and speaking as well is such an awesome stage to do that because it's one thing to lead and to share one-on-one, but when you can do it, in front of thousands of people, that's yeah. where you can really initiate change and really teach and lead. I think that's, that's uh, my favorite thing about the podcast platform is we don't all have to be out there doing it on our own and we can engage with other people wanting to grow in the same ways or have the same mindset around leadership and business and entrepreneur adventure and journeys. And it's, it's really fun. We, Josh and I have loved it and we have a good time with each other and, and we love to connect each week, uh, on our business together and also with the podcast, it gives us an avenue to just have fun and learn. It's, I mean, man, this is like free consulting for us. We get to learn about leadership uh, from you and learn from our guests. And it's just uh, my favorite hour of the week I get to spend. It's cool. One of the great things too about, about that chat is that you're talking about podcast Deke is that in our society, especially with the, with social media, we aren't great listeners. But we, we, we want to get our point across. We want to say what we think. We want to say what our tribe thinks. We regurgitate the things we oftentimes hear on conservative talk radio or on the national news media. It's just like this, this we used to call it tape speak. It's like that's something you heard on a tape and you're just speaking it out now, right? But podcast, you listen. Yeah. The whole purpose is just to listen. And so you can put yourself in a position where you can gain the perspective 
of another person's viewpoint. You can't argue with them because they can't hear you. Me, me and Chad yeah. can argue right here, and we do it off. We do it offline too, so it's just part of who we are. But podcasts for me help me just to shut up and listen and to hear a different perspective. And in my listening, I could therefore learn. So I could learn from someone like Deke because I'm not butting in all the time to interrupt him, right? So Deke, you're talking about leadership. You say one of the fundamental ways to help build better leaders is you got to have the power to inspire. But what else do we need? Because I would say for me, I, I can lean into being more of the like, inspirational leader. Uh, sometimes where I will suffer, and this is Chad and our business partners, this is where he's really, he excels, is he executes, he makes things yes. happen. And that's kind of, we're like the yin yang for us is that I'm on the front end, on the motivating end more so more often. And Chad's on the like strategic, here's what happens next. But what are the other steps to really building better leaders uh, on your team? Power to inspire, where do we go from that yeah. point? Yeah, I, I'll tell you another thing that I, I've always said that with in leadership positions, it's more important to know what you don't know than what you do know. And to surround yourself with people with a team that make up for where you fall short. And that's that's sort of when when you think you can do it all, you know, you can't. Nobody has every skill set. I mean, I'm sure there are Renaissance men and women out there that maybe do, but there are probably not a lot of those. But you but you have to trust your team too. And in, in leadership roles, and I'll, I'll speak a little bit about politics, it's I, trust is of the utmost importance. And if you, if you ruin the trust on your team and your leadership, you're, you're done. I mean, if you, if you ruin your credibility, so character is extremely important. And my father was my true North. He flew B-17 bombers in World War II as a teenager, but his father died when he was 12. And so I think his military service taught him the, the, you know, the ideas and principles of duty, integrity, service above self, all of those, you know, you can say them, but here again, you've got to live them, you know, and I, I always said, it's nice. I, I don't form committees. I form teams because committees are cul-de-sacs where good ideas go to die. But I like to have a team surrounding me where they know I've got their back and they've got my back because I, having been in politics, it was more like who's looking to stab you in your back. <laughs> you know? So you, you talk about trust there. And as a leader and as a business owner, I think trust is way deeper than what people initially think. Uh, when I think of trust, obviously there's the don't tell me a lie or, you know, yeah. don't take half my paycheck or, or whatever it may be from those standpoints. But also trust gets into a place as a leader and a business owner where doing what you say you're going to do or, yeah. or you can inspire, but in, inspiring without action or inspiring without delivering that causes trust issues. And I think that's really important for business owners and leaders and entrepreneurs to understand and realize. You, you got to follow through and it's, we touched on it before too, but it, it's leadership by example. And I'll tell you guys a story that's actually in the book. So when I moved to Augusta, when I was four years old, um, my dad was CEO of a chemical corporation over here. So he grew up on a farm and loved to garden. And I'll never forget, I'm just a little kid. He gets a load of compost and the guy who delivered it left a brand new wheelbarrow. So I'm like, well, that's nice. We just moved down here and somebody's giving my dad a gift and everything. Well, my dad sent the wheelbarrow back. 
And I was like, you know, I'm four years old. I just don't understand that. He's like, once you start taking something, taking things from people that you don't know, it's a slippery slope. And so I, I used that in office for nine years. I never had a lobbyist wine and dine me. I pretty much paid for my own gas, but just my dad leading by example on that issue when I'm a four-year-old kid just stuck with me for the rest of my life. Oh, I love that. And it's such a long-term mentality behind reputation and leadership. And, and this is something you're building and continuing to build and want to protect for for the 10, 20, 30 year picture of where you're living in the community you're in and your business. That's such an awesome story. Well, I'll, I'll give you another great, just uh, so leadership story for me. So I was a deacon in my church um, the year that I ran for mayor, but we had a church leadership retreat. And I think this, this applies to leaders in any position in business and in any position, but the, the facilitator at the leadership retreat said, in church politics, you've got 3% of the people that are against everything. They're very vocal. 3% that are for everything. They're very vocal. Then you've got 12% that are for, but not as vocal. 12% that are against, but not as vocal. But he said, but that's 30%. And then you've got the 70% in the middle who just want to see the church move forward and just are not vocal. If, if in your business, if in your community, you're governing to the vocal minority, you're missing out on what's doing the, the best for the majority of the people you serve. But you know, you know, in, in businesses, you can see it. There's that one person that might want to dominate the conversation and uh, it's letting the squeaky wheel get the grease is not the best way to lead any organization. How do you connect Deke with that 70%? Cause I think that's one of the challenges of leadership is like you said, like you got the extreme over here that are against everything and the extreme are for, some people that, you know, they're, they're contemplating, but they're leaning one way. And then the overwhelming majority of the people that want to see the organization succeed, or I'll put it in modern day politics, they want to see the country succeed. But yeah. if they say anything out loud, the 3% over here, three, 3% over here, just crush them. Right. And so there ends up being this, like, Ugh, I just want to see things progress, but I'm kind of scared of saying what I think because I'm going to get yeah. crushed for it. How do we get the, I mean, the brilliance and the wisdom of that 70% of, Hey, tell me, can you tell me what's really going on so we can know how to move forward? I, I honestly think it's, it's opportunities like this and platforms like podcasts. I mean, you guys are having a conversation and I, I talk in the book about learning to listen without prejudice. Mm. So I'll give you an example that if you automatically come from a point of, well, you're wrong then you're never going to make progress. I mean, there's, you can't come to a meeting in the minds. That's when I was in real estate. That's what I loved about real estate was to, to consummate a contract. You had to have a meeting of the minds, but you had to negotiate, right? And it's give and take. But I think that the mindset in politics or it's either my way or your way, that's just, that doesn't move anything forward. But, but I think the, the middle ground, they, they don't feel like they have platforms to like this to come on and have a civil conversation. Even if you don't share their views, that's fine. And I talk about in the book, I've got a guy who's a local commissioner here. He's a friend of mine. He's African-American. We've been friends for years. We don't always agree politically, but he was raised in an impoverished inner city neighborhood. And I was raised at a country club. We were socialized in different ways. So 
had I been socialized in his environment, my worldview would have been different, but it doesn't make us bad or wrong. It's just understanding that people are socialized in different ways. But there's, there's an old saying that a mind is like a parachute. It works best when it's open. That's attributed to Thomas Dewar, the founder of Dewar Scotch, which is also my favorite Scotch. So it's nice. But I think that that that's a true statement. You know, a mind is like a parachute. It works best when it's open. So you talk about leadership and we, we talk about inspire and we talk about trust and the way we gain trust is through action and delivering and doing what we say we're going to do. I think for a lot of us, especially in smaller businesses, we're struggling to perform the day-to-day activity yeah. or, or even lead from the primary source of a, a revenue generating standpoint. How did, how do you transition from day-to-day to being a leader and being able to manage both while you're trying to build a team? I think that's the hardest thing for the, for the young business owner or the growing entrepreneur. Yeah. And that's, you've got to wear a lot of hats and particularly right now and you know, the climate that we're in, it, it's not easy, but I, I, I don't know if it's stay true to yourself. I mean, as I say, my, my father, was my moral compass, my moral North star. And you generally, I've told people, I think that we're all, you know, one thing about leadership is learning to trust your instincts. You know, that that's so important. And I tell people we're, we're just higher forms of animals, you know, but, but we, if you can learn to trust your instincts and leadership positions, that's key. And it's another interesting thing to me is it's, I've, took this time as it's a good time to assess the situation and to build for the future. And hopefully that's the case. So you've got to look at the good in every situation and we will come out of this and it's going to be uh, to a large degree. I mean, I think it's the small businesses that are going to lead us out of this. I I sure hope so. I I love small businesses. It's just, I've never been a corporate guy. I know that's probably a shocker to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, I think that we would resonate with that feeling uh, about the corporate aspect of things. In fact, I, even with dealing with clients sometimes, Deke, I know for me, some of the like very large companies that we've taken on as clients, like there's almost a little bit of reluctance from my end because I, I know I have to jump through like a lot more red tape because of the corporate bureaucracy of you know their way of dealing with things. But I do want to land the plane of this episode on this leadership question that, that I have. Um, we have a business that is growing pretty rapidly and we're trying to, again, we invest in people. Investing in people is one of our core values as a company. We just believe in it, like you said, like I, if they go somewhere else, I hope they go somewhere else blessed from being here and they can look back with exactly. like good feelings, right? But when you're looking to obtain, whether leaders on your team, whether that's from promoting within the ranks, or it's looking outside your organization and saying, okay, we need, I need a ready-made leader to bring in for this spot. Can you give a little bit of philosophy or perspective on when you're leveling up, how do you find the right leaders or identify the right leaders to both bring onto the team, but maybe even invest in? Because I used to get into the, I think the problem of trying to invest in everybody, seeing, yeah. seeing their potential and believing that, you know, that there's this, the image of God inside of them and trying to always speak to that. But if yeah. somebody didn't step up, I would still be like, okay, I just didn't say it right. And I would, 
I would slow the organization down, investing in yeah. people that were not fertile ground yet. So how do you get good leaders, whether they're already on your team or they're coming from the outside? It is a, a big part of it is here again, I'd say you, you want to be a business that people want to come to work for and where people are excited to come to work every day. But, but team chemistry is important and you know, it, it can be a funny thing and you can bring in somebody that looks great on paper and that just doesn't fit well at all. So I think it's, I don't know exactly how you do this, but if, if you, to, to have somebody and be able to sort of watch how they interact with your existing team, um, if you're bringing on somebody from the outside, I think that's always a good thing. And it doesn't mean that anybody, if they don't fit with your team chemistry is an awful person and they could fit with another business, but that chemistry is so important. And, you know, chemistry leads to trust or trust leads to chemistry. I'm not sure which is which, but, but that's making those choices and being very deliberate in the type of person that you want on your team, whether it's promoting from within or recruiting from without it's, it, those are crucial, crucial decisions. When you have been in leadership positions in the past and you've been growing uh, on the political side or on the business or consulting side, you, you said yourself, you're a very competitive person and uh, it's easy for you to respond to challenges through a competitive nature. Do you try to bring that into a team atmosphere of leadership or do you try to keep that out of it? I'll tell you, so I grew up a Michael Jordan fan. And so when I say my competitive nature, it's not necessarily that I'm, you know, I want to see my team win. So Michael Jordan, when I was growing up, I'm like two things about him. He made the team around him better. And if you said anything bad about his team, he would go out and hang 50 points on you the next night. And so that to me, it's not necessarily one of the things I love here in Augusta is we've got all these young entrepreneurs who started restaurants and they are so, you know, they want to see each other succeed. If they run out of food or anything, they're barring it from their friend, but that, that culture is awesome. So they don't see it as a competition. They really see the rising tide and great local restaurant options helping everybody. So I, I would say, when I say the competition thing, if you say something bad, if somebody said anything bad about Augusta, you know, I would be like, okay, I'm just going to prove them wrong. So my first year in office, one of the golf magazines wrote something about Augusta being, you know, nothing but strip clubs and strip bars. And I think at that point we had two strip clubs, but, and so I took offense at it and I wrote their editor and I'm like, look, you know, come to Augusta and let me give you a tour of Augusta. And the press got a hold of it and they never responded. But my local citizenry, I think it goes back to having your back. They could see, well, and that was competitive to me, but it was also an exercise in showing, look, I'm not going to let somebody from someplace else talk bad about my team. We just went through uh, an assessment with our leadership team where, <clears throat> excuse me, Deke, where we went through a strengths finder assessment. So we we're identifying, you know, what are the best skills that each person has that maybe they're currently strengths or maybe we can develop those as strengths. And yeah. also where are, are we not as strong and we can learn how to work together as a team. It's a great exercise to go through, but uh, just kind of wrapping us up. You've written a great book on leadership and not just on how to lead, but how to build leaders. What do you believe for yourself 
are the unique leadership qualities you have that like this is these are the leadership strengths that you lean into and how can we learn from those and, and hopefully apply some of those to our own lives so we can be better leaders i and i'll tell you the, the and i see everything as a blessing and i god has given me the ability to communicate and whether it's through writing through speaking and i was talking to my business colleagues the other day and they said well you really bring something unique in that you can speak to the local government side or you can speak to the private sector side i said in, in everything you need translators that can speak everybody's language so the lord giving me the ability to communicate and do it effectively is i think that's that's my greatest strength as far as being great and organized and everything not so much <laughs> but but being communication is something that that i think i do well and that it's and and i will tell you just getting to my faith i'm like and i i always pray i'm like lord let me remember it is not my outward appearance it is not my perceived station in life and it is not my possessions that's connecting with me with people it's the spirit that you've placed within me and help me to always remember that man that leads us back into vulnerability and i think when we're when we allow ourselves as leaders to be vulnerable with others, it can help create a humility within us, which I believe helps people to trust us because they can see that we're not in it for ourselves. We're in it for the team. It builds that credibility yeah. you mentioned. And so, man, I just think I'm grateful for you sharing with us today because that's what you've shared. You, you not only told us things, but as you're talking about it, like me and Chad could see you, this is a video interview. Our listeners, maybe they'll just hear you, but we see it in your expressions that like, you're just being you. You're not putting on some facade. You're communicating with vulnerability and transparency and humility. And I'm grateful for that, man. Thank you so much for that. Well, man, I'm so glad that y'all had me and I'm glad to make your acquaintance. And we will have that opportunity to maybe have a cold beer at some point in the future, but this has been a blast. Absolutely. I've had a lot of fun. I've learned so much. Uh, for our listeners, where can they find you at? Uh, where, do, where do we get the book? Where do we find you at? Tell us a little bit about how to reach you. I'm on Amazon and you can also go through my website, D-E-K-E-Copenhaver, C-O-P-E-N-H-A-V is in Victor, E-R.com. I'm, um, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn. I've taken a little break from some of those after watching The Social Dilemma. But now that I'm going to have my own podcast, I, you, I'm easy to find. I think I'm the only deep Copenhagen in the world. So just Google me and I'm, I'm out there. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It, it's been amazing. Uh, we've had a great time and look forward to catching up with you in Augusta. And um, we'll, we'll pick up this conversation when we head that way and able to have a beer together. That sounds great. <laughs> Thanks, man. If you're a fan of the Entrepreneur Adventure podcast, we would love to hear about it. You can leave us a review right here on your favorite podcast app. You can subscribe to the podcast or you can find us on Instagram at The Entrepreneur Adventure. Until next time, thank you for joining us.